What up, family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. I'm Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and Passing Period is a little something that we like to drop in between our full episodes of All the Above. Our full episodes, of course, are super dope, and we bring on dope guests, and um, those are our video episodes that we throw on YouTube in addition to our our podcast streaming platforms, Um, but it takes a while to edit those, so in between those full episodes, we, we like to drop these Passing Periods and discuss some stories that perhaps didn't make it into our most recent episode. And um, I'm here with with Jeff Garrett. And Jeff, man, it is, um, it's spooky season, man. It's October. Halloween's coming. (laughs) Something like that, if it hasn't been canceled. I don't know. I heard LA tried to cancel it, but then they they backed off because, you know, folks were upset and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, you know, it's spooky season. And actually, there is kind of a, a kind of scary story going on right now in the world of education and um kind of relates to to um the case of uh of many hundred thousands of missing children. Jeff, talk to us, man. What's going on? What's the story for today? Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to say our our spooky story uh for today has has many many chapters, let's say. Uh chapter 1 is as you as you alluded to uh, where'd all the kindergartners go? Um, we are we are seeing some slight dips in enrollment across the board in uh, in America's public schools, but really what we're seeing is uh, a pronounced dip in enrollment in the early grades. So in particular in kindergarten, um, as hundreds of thousands of families across the country have made the decision to just not enroll their their children. And all the available data and reporting, at least that I've seen, does not suggest that what this represents is a massive exodus of folks to, say, private school or charter school, although there, of course, I'm sure has been some of that, but that families are making the decision to keep their kids home. Right to just not enroll and delay for a year. Now that's interesting because that is an an option that many more affluent folks in our country often take up. Right, if uh, you know if little little Jimmy is uh, maybe a tiny bit small for his age, or you know little Lisa's you know social skills could be stronger. You know, we'll we'll hold them back a year, particularly if that birthday's on like a you know one of those gray areas where <laughs> where right. you're right around the deadline, right? So, uh, and I'm not knocking it, right? Like I think there's no rush to like be the first to through human development, right? Like there's no prize for that <laughs> <laughs> when you turn 18 <laughs> or 25, right? Um, so more power to them, to families. But this is just interesting that the number of people doing this seems to have dramatically expanded. Um, you know, as a as a result of um, of the pandemic and distance learning, and frankly, I don't blame families because distance learning is, I think, the hardest for the youngest kids, who have the shortest attention spans and are the least able to function independently on a on a device. So I get it. It's just. Um, it's chapter one of our scary, <laughs> scary situation. Uh, do you do you want to talk about chapter two, Manuel? Yeah. All right. So we got. You know, well, according to some reports that were out this week, um, particularly a story in LA School Reports, so shout out to them. Yeah, we got you know estimated six hundred thousand kids missing from kindergarten. Um, so that's very major, and of course, there's there's the numbers are down across all grades, but especially kindergarten. But we also have um, a lot of other reporting, particularly from from NPR, um, showing that like 
or NPR and the the Heckinger Report, I should say, um, showing that there's a lot of teachers, teachers who are opting out as well. And I, you know, opting out probably isn't the right uh, terminology here, but um, the fact is, if schools do reopen across the board someday, um, we are facing the possibility of a really gigantic teacher shortage. And the Heckinger Report, in an article that we'll link um, in the in the show notes below, um, you know, sort of took a look at the different elements contributing to this uh, teacher shortage that's that's looming. And part of it is the fact that teachers are legitimately concerned about returning to the classroom, particularly in areas where um, the pandemic has become so politicized that schools are opening earlier than they should. And we have had many, many cases of schools opening and then having to shut back down um, as teachers and students have had to quarantine. And we've had so many tragic, tragic stories of teachers losing their lives to COVID-19 after having started off the school year. So, um, on one hand, you have the reality that a lot of teachers are are making the decision that their health and safety is, is you know comes first, and returning back to school is just an, a, a risk that they're not willing to take. And on top of that, you have the economic crisis and the fact that Congress is so far um, has been unable to put together a relief package that um, could really help address the fact that schools across the nation are going to be. Uh, facing are continuing to face um, dramatic, dramatic challenges when it comes to um, their budget needs. So that means that pink slips are very much on the horizon in a lot of areas across the nation. And on top of that, a lot of schools, you know, with existing teacher shortages, even before the pandemic, have relied heavily on substitute teacher pools. And more and more substitute teachers are saying, nope, that's not worth my, you know, $100 a day or $120 a day, whatever they might get um, in whatever district. It's not, it's not, that's not worth it for me to go back into a situation where, um, you know, I might be exposed to the virus and, and so much is going on. Just the calamity of the whole situation, Jeff, we have students disappearing, we have teachers disappearing. Um, this is, this is not looking good, is it? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, well, it's not. It's not. Uh, this is our Halloween scare yeah. story, <laughs> and I'm. I'm gonna add a chapter three, which you alluded to, but I think does deserve its own chapter, which is we're not really feeling the effects of the. You can call it a recession, but it's the like quasi depression right. that we are in right now in school systems yet. There are some districts, I, you know, I don't want to dismiss across the country who've had to make some cuts, right? But like we, next year is when we're really going to feel it because that's when we're really going to see the hit in terms of tax revenues, in terms of what the, you know, the failed lack of response from the federal government, in terms of state governments that had perhaps some reserves and could, you know, try to weather the storm, right? Like that stuff's going to be done. And we are going to see significant cuts in numerous districts across the country without a serious federal intrusion of dollars. And frankly, in some cases, even with the federal intrusion yeah. of dollars, we're still going to see certain layoffs, right, or cuts to programs and that sort of thing. So I, th I think we have a three chapter story here. Manuel, chapter one, uh, where'd all the kids go? Uh, some, some, the boogeyman done took all the kindergartners. Uh, Y'all heard that? The two, boogeyman done took all the kids. 
Yeah, chapter two, the boogeyman done also took like a third of the teachers, okay? <laughs> and uh and the substitutes. And then chapter three is the Republicans done took all the money and gave it to the rich people. So no no boogeyman there, just just old stiff Worse white than man. the boogeyman. The, bo- uh, the I feel like the boogeyman <laughs> got a bad rap, you know what I'm saying? They're like you know, boogeyman overall, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we grew up with the boogeyman. And, um, you know, he wasn't out to, like, just totally destroy, destroy marginalized communities across the country. Um, But, you know, that's another story. Yeah, man. That is another story. Yes. So it's it's getting real out here, man. And and, you know, I think we're we're like not totally feeling it yet. Yeah. But there's some big questions that come come to my mind. I kind of want to get your your take on here. Right. So like 600,000 kindergartners didn't come to school this year. Presumably they're alive somewhere and presumably they're going to come back to school at some, at some point. Right. right. So what happens next year when we have a hundred you know, or uh, one point five times the number of normal kindergartners? Right. When we maybe have fewer teachers and where teacher education programs are not producing nearly the number of especially elementary ed candidates that they used to produce. Right. right? So, like, what are we going to do, Manuel? (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting question because, I mean, we could expand that out to include some of the other grades as well. Because as far as the kindergarten piece of it, um, the the Heckinger report did mention that for a lot of parents, they skip kindergarten altogether. So there's, you know, some concern that you'll have a lot of first graders who simply aren't ready for the routines of first grade. So even though Zoom school is trash, um, still Zoom school presumably brings some (laughs) level of, like, understanding how school goes, routines, things like that, that these students might be missing out on. So they might be joining first grade and kind of like be behind in that sense. But um, in addition to that, so yeah, then, you know, those who do just stay back a year and then, you know, do kindergarten next year. So then you're dealing with this larger than ever, I don't know, larger than ever, but yeah, especially large number of kindergartners at a time when we don't have a especially large number of kindergarten teachers, um, which is a real concern. So then it's like, what do those classes look like? Does a in-person class of 40 kindergartners, is that better than, you know, Zoom school? And then you have what all the other (laughs) grades. So then it's like, all right, so, so then that grade is a little larger than normal. So then, you know, the next year after that, next year after that. So, you know, so you have perhaps a particular class, the class of whatever year that would you know, factor out to that's larger than the other classes. But then what about um, the fact that you have declining enrollment in a lot of other grades as well and um, colleges also. So a lot of folks who chose, I think we did a story on, you know, how many Harvard freshmen and other, other uh, schools have uh, incoming freshmen that deferred. So then when they come back, that's an especially large class, uh, presumably. And then, you know, I'm just thinking as a teacher who normally has juniors and seniors, like, you know, if I'm still in the classroom, whatever, 11, 12 years from now, then, you know, I might be dealing with some seniors that are like 19, 20, 20 and up because they got, you know, opted out for a couple of years or a year or two because of the, the pandemic. And just, you know, what's our school system? How flexible is our school system to the um, ongoing challenges that we'll be facing above and beyond this year as a result of having so many students who either um, call timeout on their progress through the educational pi- pipeline or students who are just, you know, various experiences of, you know, Zoom school and, and however trash that might be. And again, that makes me think of the 
weaponization of the so-called learning loss that's going to be, I'm sure, um, talked about quite a bit. And um, it's just, you know, all pretty scary stuff, especially if we are looking at teacher shortages as well, which we are. So, yeah, yeah. it's tough, man. It's tough. You know, I'm... It, I like how you framed the uh, the sort of cascading effect of this over time, right? Both from the standpoint of like we have this potential bubble of our youngest kids who are not yet entering the system. And where do they re-enter? Do they re-enter in kindergarten? Do they just jump ahead developmentally to first grade? I don't know that I've seen any good data on exactly who these kids are, right? Like, is it more affluent folks who are keeping their kids home? Or is it more low-income folks? Or is it a representative mix? I'm, I'm not sure. Because that could impact like which schools, right? Like the, the, the impact of this might be felt totally unequally across the system, right? Or, or it could be, you know, evenly distributed. We'll, we'll wind up seeing. But um, I think that's an interesting issue, right? Uh, I could tell you with, without a doubt, 40 kids in a kindergarten class, like kindergarten teachers should, should have like a statue or something <laughs> in the town Man. square already because that is a that is a job that takes a special kind of skill um and that's not to belittle the skill that other teachers you know also have to have but man kindergarten is just like yeah it them kids don't know how to pee and how to like not cut themselves (laughs) them kids don't know how to pee (laughs) they don't (laughs) kindergarten teachers teach teach Everything, all the stuff that all the rest of the teachers take for granted. Have you ever, Manuel, had to teach someone to use the restroom as a high school self-study teacher? I have not. No, you didn't. Have you ever had someone who, you know, uh, just fell and skinned their knee and wouldn't stop crying? No, you have not. I have not. Have, have you had kids who, like, had to hold hands because otherwise they would get lost as they walked <laughs> down the hallway? <laughs> no, you have not. So, I, you know, they, God bless all of America's kindergarten teachers. And they do not need 40 kids in a classroom. Uh, that is just unfair. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, now I'm like, what are we going to title this episode? Because the boogeyman done took all the kids <laughs> was so great. And now yeah. it's like them kids yeah, don't know how to pee. <laughs> Um, All right. So, but to to a point that you made uh, a little while ago about, you know, we don't quite know how this is going to be distributed across the nation in terms of, um, you know, uh, where the impact is going to be felt. I definitely do want to point out some reporting by Anya Kamenetz for for NPR. um, And we'll, we'll link that below too. But um, you know, the story profile is just the declining enrollment across all grades across the whole nation, Um, Orange County and Florida with 8,000 fewer students than um, than they had last year. Miami-Dade County with um, 16,000 fewer and LAUSD right now with 11,000 fewer students. But, um, you know, she says, I'm just going to quote from her article, uh, comprehensive national data aren't available yet, but reporting by NPR and our member stations, along with media reports from around the country, shows that enrollment declines in dozens of school districts across 20 states include large and small, rich and poor, urban and rural um, all across the board. So I agree with you that the, the impact isn't going to be felt equally because the impact is never felt equally um, in our nation. But this is something that districts everywhere are, are going to have to deal with one way or another um, because this pandemic does not, does not uh, discriminate in that sense. Like, you know, uh, distance learning, if that's, <coughs> if that's what your local school district is doing, 
rich or poor, large or small, whatever, whatever, distance learning, Zoom school, Zoom kindergarten is is a challenge no matter who you are. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we'll, we will see the ongoing, you know, long-term cascading impact, but this this is definitely very concerning. And I think that even though we're still in the midst of this pandemic, even though every, you know, every day there's some different development related to um, school reopenings or not and, and whatever, um, I think we really, really, really need to start having honest, critical conversations about what does education look like next school year and beyond, because um, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree um, with you on that for sure. I do. I want to get your take on something, Manuel. The uh, chapter two of our story here about uh, teacher teacher shortages yep. of our of our of our horror story, Halloween horror story, um, about teacher shortages. And there was there was a quote in um, in the Heckinger report piece that uh, that we've been citing here, and um, this is uh, I want to make sure I'm giving credit here. So this is uh, a piece by Bracy Harris and Neil Morton. Uh, in the Heckinger Report, it cites that uh, what I thought was kind of a staggering statistic that 30 percent, about a, uh, almost a third of teachers in the country have reported in a, in a national survey um, considering leaving the profession this year. And in a typical year, we have, um, you know, an exit of about 8 percent. Right now, there's definitely a different of a difference of considering and actually following through. And life is certainly just difficult for a lot of people right now with economic stress and being a parent and a working adult and all, you know stuff is just hard. So maybe it's just hard and it'll be better, right? Eventually. But that's I don't know what other professions are seeing, right? Like are thirty percent of uh, you know mortgage approvers uh, <laughs> thinking of leaving their job right now in right. this in this economy, right? Like that's crazy. So, um, man, well, what do you, what do you think, man? Like what's what is going on in the minds of teachers? Well, uh, that we that we should be paying attention to. I mean, Jeff, I would uh, I would start, I guess, by referring you to uh, episode fifty six of All of the Above, where we talked about that survey mm -hmm. specifically, that Ed Week survey, um, which was about how teachers felt about school reopening and, and all that. And um, I think it was thirty two percent specifically. Um, uh, that's the number that comes to mind. Um, and we, you know, discussed sort of the the fact that this experience is driving more and more folks to consider whether or not they want to stay in the profession. And I believe I said that for the first time in a very, very long time, um, at least right before the school year started, I seriously considered leaving the classroom for sure and would have taken an offer had an offer been made available because the uh, reopening discussion, the, you know, what's distance learning going to look like discussion, it was all so chaotic that I was just like, you know what, this ain't for me. But I, you know, I'm still here and I'm definitely not leaving in the middle of the school year. But in any case, yeah, man, it's, um, I, I absolutely, I know of plenty of teachers just who I, you know, interact with on social media who have either already submitted their resignations or are really on the verge of doing so, especially teachers in areas that have forced them to go back to in-person learning without the supports, without the, um, necessary safety precautions. And also, especially teachers who are doing hybrid teaching. So teachers who have, I saw mm -hmm. one teacher post yesterday about having to juggle in-person students 
online students and asynchronous students. So three different groups. And that's that's triple the lesson planning. Like no matter what, if you're doing your job right, you are planning yeah. for each one of those independently because yeah. like what works for one doesn't work for the other. You can't just like put up a camera in the corner of the room and boom, like, you know, you don't have to do anything else for those those who are distance learning. So, you know, three times the lesson planning for the same pay, more of a risk to your own health and safety because you are in person with with some individuals and the added fear of like possible pink slips and cuts in your own district or your own school. Why would anyone do with that? If there's an alternative out there, if there's like an opening somewhere where you can just, you know, know what you're doing, it's stable, the, the pay is similar, if not better, like, why would you stick around? I mean, obviously we, we do it for the kids. We love the students. We, you know, you know, teacher teaching is a, a, a service profession. However, there's limits to all that. And you can't be any good to your students if you are not physically or mentally okay or emotionally okay to deal with them, um, given all that's going on. So yeah, man, um, psh, spooky season. And that's, that's part of it right there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you, when you put it that way, <laughs> it, 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 it's hard to argue with, yeah. right? Like, uh, there, there is apart from the fact that the economy is trash overall and there's just maybe nowhere for people to go. Uh, th those are the kind of job conditions that push people out. Yeah. Right. Conditions where you feel like it's impossible to be successful. It's very high stress and you're putting yourself at some potentially grave risk. Right. Like that's it's an unacceptable uh, status quo for our profession, I would argue. And, you know, I think, thankfully, there's there's some just maybe perhaps built-in grace into what we're doing right now because obviously no one, you know, the pandemic wasn't like some superintendent who made a bad decision about the budget, right? Like this this was, this was uh, you know, a set of circumstances perhaps outside of our control. And yet, I don't know... Uh, of and, and this is maybe an interesting question that maybe some of our listeners could could help us out with, and maybe we need to just do some more research and try to find like a situation, a district, or a network of schools that are that are really getting it right around um, creating sustainable conditions for teachers, you know, and principals for that matter. Yeah. Um, under this distance learning setup because every educator i know right now is like stressed out their mind yeah um, you know i saw a, an assistant principal i work with on friday had a facebook post up that was like this is my life and she had three computers okay <laughs> like a desktop <laughs> with a spreadsheet open for some task she was working on and then two different meetings she was in at the same Man. time on two different Zooms, on two different laptops. Yes. Right? And I'm like, yeah, we just can't. Like, this can't be normal. This can't be the way of things now. Just not <laughs> you <know>? sustainable, <laughs> man. I, I too, yeah. know an administrator who um, almost every time I interact with them, they're in multiple meetings. One on the phone, one on this laptop, one on this Chromebook. And it's just like, um, I feel for them because this is not, yeah. you know, it, it's obviously not sustainable. Um, I know that stress levels are through the roof right now for educators, um, teachers, administrators, other folks who work in schools, 
Um, for students too, I know on our campus, there's been ongoing debate, I would say, about what the right amount of like coursework is. And, and you know, there's just differences of opinion about how much of it of it is us showing grace and how much of it is quote unquote lowering expectations, which is a whole trash conversation that I don't want to get into right here. But it's clear that everybody's sort of like at their wits end. Everybody's trying their best and nobody has yeah. the answer. Nobody knows what is best because this is so like nobody's gone through this before. So how could we possibly know what's best? Really, really, really wild. Um, definitely, you know, spooky season. And I, you know, I just want to obviously shout out everybody who's listening, who does work in education because I think a lot of it, you know, education has always been sort of a thankless profession. Like we get the, you know, once in a while teacher appreciation day type stuff or principal administrator appreciation day type stuff. I think there's a day for administrators. I think, I don't know. There is. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so there's some of that, but it all to me feels, you know, quite superficial and especially now, I mean, there's probably someone listening who has gone so above and beyond even just this past week and has thought to themselves, like nobody even understands how hard this is or how much I'm doing or like just like what it takes for me to like do the best that I can for students or for teachers or for whoever um, you are in particular uh, service to. And you're listening and you're just like, man. And I definitely felt the same way. I've heard many teachers Classroom teachers say it feels like being a first-year teacher all over again in, like, mm-hmm. not in the good ways. You know, there's certain aspects of first-year teaching that um, I really enjoyed, you know, just loving the profession. But then there's the every single thing you do, every single step of every single lesson requires so much planning and thought and construction. And that's what it is now because everything is so new. I can't just rely on some lesson I've done um, in the past, like at minimum, I got to translate it to this digital space at minimum, let alone like obviously the added components of continuing to grow and push this, push the students and do all that. So, so yeah, I just want to definitely like shout out everybody who's, who's doing their best. I don't know that we'll ever, we educators will ever get the, the recognition we deserve for doing our best in this moment. In fact, it's a lot of the opposite happening. It's a lot of folks slamming public schools or slamming teachers for not doing enough or not, um, you know, being willing to go in person and put their lives on the line. And, and you know, that, that honor and recognition that teachers, educators of all uh, sorts deserve probably isn't going to come. And we didn't get in the profession for that. But still, it would be nice to get some of that, some of that recognition because this has been a very difficult experience, period. So shout out to all yeah. of you who are doing that work and doing your best for sure. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And, and for real, if folks are listening and you know some examples of a district or a network of schools that's really getting it right around educator sustainability and support right now, hit us up. We're at allaboveshow at gmail.com. You can get us on the Twitters or the Facebooks. Uh, We're at AOTA Show. We'd love to hear about it. Maybe have uh, you or someone from your system as a a potential guest on our show as well. Uh, Because folks need the support right now. We need to to spread the word about what's working. Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Um, All right, folks. um, Before we get out of here, um, I do want to point out, if you missed our, our previous full episode or or the last few of them really um we've just completed a a, a bit of a series um looking at 
the ongoing discussion around anti-racist teaching and anti-racist practices. And, and we did a little thing where we kind of looked at it through the lens of, of different subject areas. So we have an episode looking at ELA instruction and we had an episode looking at math instruction. And um, our most recent full episode was looking at science instruction. And so often folks don't really think of the sciences as like a place for, for those conversations. And um, you definitely want to check those out. And next week, we're kind of putting all that together and thinking about the the overall framework for having culturally and historically responsive practices no matter what you teach and you know we can't just we can't just have that discussion just you know in 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 a light light little way we got to bring the heavy hitters in and we chose not we chose we had the honor we had the honor of bringing in one of the heaviest hitters out right now, um, Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Dr. Goldie Muhammad, author of Cultivating Genius, will will grace us with our with her presence next week on all of the above. You absolutely, positively don't want to miss that. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, follow the show, um, all that good stuff. And if you haven't recently recommended the show to any of your peers, uh, definitely, definitely, please uh, consider doing that. We we like to have these critical conversations around schooling, both like what's happening inside the classroom and what's happening throughout the school system. Um, so definitely, we we want to get our our show into more viewers' um, view, so or more listeners' um, ears for sure. So definitely, um, please consider recommending us if you haven't already. And of course, we always appreciate the reviews on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening to this episode of, of Passing Period. Um, definitely give us that that five star if you, if you don't mind. And uh, definitely, definitely hang in there. Take care of yourself. We know you're doing solid, solid work. We know you're doing your best and we very much appreciate that. And um, until next time, get to class. <laughs> <laughs>